0: Good morning and welcome, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, and you are with Lyle and Renee. Hello, hello. Renee, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here on the show this morning, filling in for Mini. Thank you, uh,
1: Lyle.
0: Renee, this is your first time.
1: It is. I'm uh, brand
0: new. Okay, so everybody, uh, give Renee a big welcome, send through some messages Uh of encouragement we would love to hear from you this morning and uh, yeah so we are uh, excited to have you as a part of the show what are you thankful for this morning
1: I am very thankful uh, for my breakfast this morning
0: (laughs) yes because you came to visit us a couple of a week or so ago yeah and, and you I, didn't have
1: breakfast? I didn't have breakfast that time, but this time, you know, I made sure it happened. I planned for it.
0: So the pra- the practice run was worthwhile then. Exactly.
1: It the really practice was. Practice run was yeah. th-
0: it was like, okay, note <laughs> to self, eat before eat before radio. That's it. That's it. Yes, indeed. It's always a good idea to eat before radio. I this morning am thankful for the good old traditional walk around the block. Oh. Yes.
1: Did you walk around your block?
0: I did. <laughs> In I the m- this morning? No.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: Last night. Last
1: night, gotcha. Last
0: night. Yeah. Went for a walk around the block. So Shell and I we uh we, we we used the walk word in front of our dog. You use the walk word and it's just like it's just, he just about <laughs> turns himself inside out with excitement. And so because we used the walk word, well, you know, you've got to take him for a walk. So we, yeah, we, we yeah. took him for a found – his, found his lead, took him for a walk. He got to uh, sniff all kinds of things. Oh, and fun times. You know, pee on a few power poles, all that kind of stuff <laughs> that he likes to do. Uh, we bought some hot chips. We uh, bought them back, had dinner. Um, it was just a pleasant time hanging out. It was a nice evening too yeah, yeah. such a gorgeous Quiet time, time of with year. The fan. No, nah, it's amazing. The traditional walk around the block is just uh, some really good couple time right there. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Renee, what yes. have we got happening in the world of uh, positively different news this morning? Well,
1: positive news. Well, this one, uh, I don't know if you're much of an animal person. I know you have a dog, right? I have a dog. Yes, well, I don't have any. But I would love to have a cat one day. Anyway, that let is... Me, let
0: me recommend a dog. <laughs> a dog? Yes, let me re- recommend it. A dog will love you.
1: Really? Yes. I wanted in the independence. I kind of like. Yes, I like to be left left alone. You don't like to be loved. Oh well. When you put it that way, I guess I do like to be loved.
0: See, see, this is this is this is what independence means. Like, I don't need you. Who are you? Why do I? <laughs> this, is, this is my. You, you see, you have just stumbled onto my um, onto my anti-cat rant where I offend all of the cat owners, <laughs> sure um, which I do from time to time here on Faith FM. That's right. We love we love cat owners.
1: Oh, well, um, yes, this story talks about caring uh, conservation programs, which have prevented at least 48 animal extinctions.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. So, yes.
1: Okay, so basically it talks about since it says that since 1993, did you know that 48 mammals and bird species have been saved from extinction? 48. 48, that's quite a lot. So, this is yeah. according to researchers' models who they've figured it out and they've done all the math and um, they've realized, you know, the efforts that we're actually putting into place to save all these species are actually working, which is a really, really good thing. I mean, it's something I'm
0: actually super passionate about, particularly being Australian, because Australia has. What have we had? Uh, we have the highest extinction rate of anywhere in the world. Really? Oh yeah, by far.
1: I know about the dodo, but that's pretty much all I know about. Yeah,
0: that's uh, from New Zealand. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> no, the dodo. No, no, the, no, no. I got that. The moa was from New Zealand. The dodo was uh, prehistoric, so I don't know where that one came from. Okay. So wow. we're we're just as bad as each other here this morning. Yeah, we, need to, we need to we need we need to get our <laughs> science sorted out.
1: <laughs> Apologies, everyone. Oops. <laughs> the
0: things you say on air. <laughs> oh dear. Um but anyway, uh you were uh okay, so yeah. yeah, Australia has the highest extinction rate and guess why Australia has the highest extinction rate?
1: <sighs> Is it cats? <gasps> no, that's not <laughs> true. Cats really?
0: in Australia kill 20 million native animals oh, per, but day, so per day per day. Per day.
1: Per day.
0: 20 million native animals per day.
1: Oh no. Maybe I should get a dog. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it does I'm, say.
0: I've broken Renee's <laughs> heart this morning. I'm very sad. She didn't think she was going to get this when she came to Faith Open. No, FM. and this no, is the actually, news section. All right, all right, all right. Let's have some good news. Let's have some good news.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, Dr. Reich Bolam from Newcastle University.
0: Oh, go I Newcastle, yes. Um, That's he, where we broadcast from.
1: <laughs> he says that it's encouraging that some of the species have recovered very well, um, and then analysis have provided a positive message that the conservation has reduced the extinction rates for birds and mammals. And so it says, of all the ex rescued species, the largest numbers, number of birds saved was in New Zealand, Brazil, uh, in China and Vietnam. So unfortunately, Australia is not on the list, but that's okay.
0: Okay, so we need to... Uh, we
1: need to step up our game.
0: We definitely need to pull up our socks right here and do a little <laughs> bit more when it comes to extinction. We've done some good things. We've got some, you know, some great um, arcs that have been created.
1: What? Yes. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. There's one up in the in the Barrington Tops, not far from here. Okay. There's an okay. arc up there. Guess what it's got? Cats. A cat-proof fence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the uh, cats are very significant to the extinction rate here in Australia, as are foxes. Oh. Um, they're probably our two biggest um, public enemies, number one and number two, but. They are also – other great contributors are obviously humans.
1: Mm. Humans are probably
0: the biggest contributor. Okay. We're probably more dangerous than uh, cats and foxes. Um, But – it's, you know, it's good we, to it's yeah because it's you know, habitat loss that got, yeah, gotcha. we yeah. Take their homes That's not cool. um, but it's good to see these arcs being built where they're basically fencing off you know yeah. large portions of Australia or large you know of, of various environments and yeah. letting the natural habitat come yeah. back to what it was beforehand mm. um, of course it's no solution because it does create a very small gene pool within those fenced areas mm-hmm. yeah uh, which isn't great but uh, it's always positive to see something happening and uh, to me this is yeah. to me this is you know when the bible says that we were placed in charge of the earth
1: come on pastor and we it? were given
0: dominion <laughs> over the earth
1: <laughs> yes yes
0: that word dominion doesn't mean that we were there to crush and destroy and rule but it means that we were to manage and be stewards of yeah yeah and good management of our earth is that we keep these species alive yeah. and we preserve them wherever we can Um, And so we've had a few stories on extinctions this week and this is uh, another really positive one coming through right here.
1: Yeah. And like I just love – I love this story because it shows that when we come together to try and stop something, you know, like like, I guess our efforts in order to stop the extinction of animals, it's, you know, it's useful. We're doing something good and I just – yeah – where things are just being lost a lot in the world, it's nice that we can put our efforts together and do something good and and results have been shown through these studies. So that's always a good thing. And, it is. You know, like you said, God has tasked, tasked us with this to look after each other and look after the animals around us. And yeah, it, I think it's a really character trait to show, like, I don't know how I'm trying to say it. It's just like when, when you have like more power, but you're able to care for those who are less powerful, less...
0: Yeah, yeah, you can judge a person's character <laughs> on how they treat animals. That's it. If somebody's you. cruel to animals, you know they're going to be cruel to humans. Yeah, yeah. Because it shows that um, you know there's a certain level of heartlessness. Yeah. And so yeah, cruelty is one is is a terrible thing that should not be tolerated in any society, um, either to animals or to humans. And one of the reasons why we have very strict laws in Australia against animal cruelty. Mm is because it's a precursor to, you know, much worse criminal activity.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah. Wow. It is. Anyway, we had a text message came through. Uh, the world's, uh, this was in relation to my story. The world's alcohol market was worth $1,343 billion in 2017. In Australia, that was $19.7 billion.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: At present, that's why we're fighting an uphill battle, mm. but it is a battle worth fighting. Yes, it and is. And think of the money that would be saved mm-hmm. from the criminal justice system if you know there's a, there are billions of dollars to be saved right there yeah. by getting rid of alcohol. We need to uh, figure this one out. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're going to have our more serious stories, and uh, this one is what I'm going to share with you: that is a, uh, a report that uh, has been released to a Senate inquiry here in New South Wales. Uh, dealing with the prevention, diagnosis, support for people with fetal alcohol syndrome. And there's been a 14-page report that has uh, been released from the Newcastle-Hunter region on this. And it has revealed that um, the system here in our local area, so where we're broadcasting from because we broadcast from Newcastle, um, (coughs) has basically a stressed-out paediatric team. Uh, which is stretched to the max. They are you know, at, at breaking point with a vast waiting list of children that could potentially be diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. There's a lack of equipment, there's a lack of training. Um, as a result of that, there are kids who are simply in and out of the justice system where, in fact, they probably should be in and out of treatment rather than uh, the justice system because, you know, they're simply going undiagnosed as a result of a lack of being able to, you know, just a a lack of staffing, really. Um, Okay, so according to the World Health Organization, fetal alcohol syndrome is the leading cause of preventable uh, mental disability in our world. Um, It is an incurable disease and the demand for services here in our local region are far exceeding capacity. There is, in fact, a 12-month waiting list for a child just to be assessed for fetal alcohol syndrome. Wow! So this is a tragedy, yeah. and one of the things that frustrates me when I read these stories is where the health system is looking for solutions, And so the health system is looking for solutions like, well, you need to throw more money at this and you need to provide more staffing so that we can handle the workload. And I agree with that to a point. In the short term, yes, we definitely need to throw more staffing at this. We definitely need to throw some money at this and get the kids diagnosed so that we can start getting them some kind of treatment uh, for what they are dealing with rather than just throwing them into the juvenile detention uh, uh, system. However, when in Australia are we going to start talking about prohibition? And maybe this is a good place to start right here, with pregnant mothers. Simply make it illegal for pregnant mothers to purchase alcohol. Uh, make it illegal. You know, make it maybe mandatory breath testing for pregnant mothers. Uh, you know, on the on the side of the road, whatever. When there's there's got to be something happening here where we can. Deal with the cause rather than the symptom, because it's too late by the time a kid has a mental disability. You know that that poor kid is going to have to deal with that for the rest of their life. We're never going to be able to treat it, uh, cure it. We're only going to be able to manage it, and that's just terrible. Why aren't we throwing some money and energy at some form of uh, prohibition. Okay, so I'm going to come back and talk about that in a little bit in, in a little bit more. But here's a few more uh, interesting stats in relationship to this story. Uh, we only have 1.6 full-time paediatricians working on this particular issue in our local area, uh, with 350 referrals each year. There is nothing being done for children who are over the age of 12. And so, if you get through to the age of 12 being undiagnosed, there is no system to system for you to be Uh, diagnosed. Uh, 20% of the children with fetal alcohol syndrome coming through are indigenous and then a very large percentage of them are in foster care. So these are the the particular areas that we need to be focusing our attention on because they're obviously the very, very vulnerable children. Um, And uh, if you are over the age of 12 and somebody does suspect that you've got fetal alcohol syndrome, then there is a two-year waiting list to be diagnosed outside of the Newcastle-Hunter region. So there's nothing happening within our region. If you're going to go outside the region, there's so you're going to be 14 by the time you get a diagnosis if you've just turned 12. If you're already 14, well, then you're going to be 16. If you're 16, you're going to be an adult. Um... So one of the biggest problems is we have a lot of children who are being imprisoned in the juvenile detention system, of course, before they are diagnosed. And a 2014 study of our juvenile detention centres found that 45% of the children in juvenile detention suffered from uh, an intellectual impairment. That's massive, 45%. And so we're sort of looking at uh, detention or treatment. Why are we not looking at solving the cause? Let's go to the root of the problem. Let's deal with the cause. Because, you know, what kind of a future do these children have? uh when you know they've got uh, intellectual they're intellectually impaired they're in and out of the juvenile detention center uh, it basically trains them you know we we know what kind of a life they are likely to have unless they have you know some really great parenting that can turn their lives around and recognize um, what's going on. It's a problem that's probably much greater than what we actually know uh, because um, there's probably a lot more out there than what we realize. Uh, and back in 2018, they did a bit of a blitz and on vulnerable children uh, and from, from vulnerable communities, and found that 50% of them had fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and of course, we know that you know child criminals often go on to become adult criminals. The easy solution is to get rid of alcohol. Mm. You know, our our incarceration rate in Australia is 170 people per 100,000. Interesting to compare that with countries that have prohibition. You know, we don't have prohibition in Australia. We have never had prohibition in Australia, but uh, we have in our justice system 170 people per 100,000 incarcerated. All right, what if you went to uh, some countries where they do have very, very, very stringent uh, prohibition? Uh, some of these countries have, you know, you can get a licence, to buy alcohol if you are an immigrant uh, and if you are a Roman Catholic, interestingly enough, in the UAE. If you live in the UAE, you can get a license to buy alcohol if you are an immigrant and a Roman Catholic. But, you know, very, very restricted access to alcohol. Um, So you look at your Gulf states. Where well, you've got prohibition. Their incarceration rate is 30, uh, Oman, 36 per 100,000. Qatar, 58 per 100,000. UAE, 104 per 100,000. Kuwait, 117 per 100,000. Yemen, before the war, 53 per 100,000. Syria, uh, also before the war, 60 per 100,000. Uh, go to Indonesia, 99 per 100,000. Bangladesh, um, 52 per Per 100,000. These are all countries that have uh, prohibition. Go to Russia. We all know about the drinking culture in Russia, right? What do you think their incarceration rate is? 346 per 100,000. This is a very, very simple equation. There is a bucket load of money to be saved and there are a bucket load of lives to be saved if we do something about the alcohol problem that we have in this country right now. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is Interview of the Daytime and joining us uh, on the phone this morning is Camilla Scaff, who is the health director in the North New South Wales region uh, for our church. And so, Camilla, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Lyle. Good morning, Renee. It's a beautiful day here, and I hope that you're having a great morning already.
0: Uh, it's a gorgeous day. We, we We're a bit worried about you this morning, uh, Camilla. We hear you've had a bit of a sore throat. We're hoping this is this is not the uh, not the dreaded Rona.
2: Uh, no, definitely not. I my daughter had a little cold in the beginning of the week, and um, yeah, you know how it goes. Just got a little bit of that going, but um, already reestablishing. So um, it's all good. Oh, if good. just forgive me if I have a little cough.
0: <laughs> that's it. okay. So we have we have the health director coming to us with a little bit of a cough this morning, but that's okay.
2: <laughs>
0: this morning we're talking about you are what you think.
2: Is that really the case? Well, uh, apparently it is. And um, I wanted to bring to you um, some great research information that has been done in the last 20, 30 years. And to be honest, um, even more, um, it started all the way back, I would say, with uh, the Bible. Um, I mean, when we look at the Bible, we have proverbs, we have Solomon writing things such as... um, Uh, you know, what a person thinks in his heart, so is he, Mm. Um, and we can know through several stories on the Bible even how that is true. But I want to have, I want to first ask a question to the listeners this morning, and maybe you can answer me the question if you would like, Lyle. Have you ever questioned why certain times negative thoughts flow to your mind? Do you know why?
0: I've never stopped to question that before. I'm just sort of thinking, well, (laughs) usually negative thoughts flow to my mind because negative things happen. Hmm. Would that make
2: sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, there are lots of reasons why. And then uh, we sometimes don't think about that, right? We just have thoughts and we don't realize where they're coming from. But another question that I want to pose to you, and maybe Renee can think as well, is like, how do you turn negative thoughts into positive thoughts? Is that possible?
1: I think I think it I think it is I do think that negative thoughts they tend to like kind of go and replay on my mind and it kind of it's hard to stop it so I'm I'm not sure how to though
0: Yeah this is an interesting one um, because for me negative thoughts are associated with negative events and so, yeah, how do yeah, I yeah. how do I reframe those negative events to be mm. positive events? I mean, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you've got me you've got me intrigued this <laughs> yeah. morning, Camilla.
2: Okay, so we're we don't have a lot of time, so this morning we're going to make this a two session thing. So I hope that people can come back next month to um, continue to hear because today we're going to basically talk about three things that impact our thoughts. Um, and then the next session, we're going to be talking about, you know, how, what are the, the secrets on how we can reverse them. But basically, touching upon the things that are um, going to help us and that generate those thoughts, I, I'm pretty sure everyone can figure it out how they can help themselves as well. Um, so, well, there, there was a lot of research done, but I want to share one that was done with basically army uh, people, people that worked working in the army. And they did a research that they put some volunteers um, to, um, they didn't sleep for two nights on a roll. So they didn't get any sleep, got sleep deprivation. And then after that, they were to be monitored and they uh, were uh, basically checking their ability to make decisions that were concerned about uh, moral choices, right? Mm -hmm. Whether something was moral or not to do. And what they found out is that the people, although although they, they had sleep deprivation, there were a few of them, uh, most of them that didn't really um, make good choices, moral choices. They, they changed the choices that they would have made before, right? So they were charged with these emotional dilemmas and and then they just, you know, they, they actually changed their views on what they thought was more acceptable um, after that sleep deprivation. Now, the ones that actually stood through their um, moral choices, the same as they believed before, so they were strong and they didn't change their views after the sleep deprivation, they were very um, – as- they are associated as well with high score on a measure that is known as emotional intelligence. Now, have you heard about emotional intelligence before?
0: Yes, so EQ as opposed to IQ.
2: That's right. So emotional intelligence, it's a fairly common term these days. It was originally um, presented by a psychologist called Howard Gardner, and that was in the 1900s. It was about when I was uh, a child, 1983. I'm an 80 uh, child, Mm 80s. So um, he actually posed the frame. um, It's called the frame of mind theory that shows that we have more than one kind of intelligence back then it was understood that people had just like the iq which is the intelligence quotient and that was what defined their intelligence and he basically says no there are different kinds of intelligence and then later on 1995 another psychologist and scientist he came and proposed and he actually launched a bestseller book called emotional intelligence that was Daniel Goleman, and he then introduced the emotional intelligence, uh, which became a very popular term these days, but it basically talks about as the sentimental capacity of our mind and the ability to identify, assess, and control our emotions. Now, today, we know that there are different parts of the brain that is responsible for different decisions or even, we would say, this kind of intelligences. And uh, um, according to Goldman, emotional intelligence has five distinct aspects. So it's about knowing your emotions. It's about managing our emotions, recognizing emotions in others, managing relationship with others and motivating ourselves to achieve our goals. So do you think that would be important in our decision-making and our life success?
0: Definitely, definitely. That's that's critical. Yeah,
2: (laughs) that's right. And that's what they found. They found that emotional intelligence or all of these five distinct aspects that I just mentioned now are critical not only in our ability to keep up. It was actually interesting. They did further research and found that, you know, sometimes people get out of college and they start working and they're more tested based on their IQ or their intelligence, uh, like their intellectual intelligence to achieve that job. But what they found out through research is what kept people in their jobs and made them happy in life had to do with their emotional cue or the emotional intelligent, intelligence and not so much of their intellectual intelligence. So that was very interesting.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, wow. This is, um, okay. All right. Keep going for us there, um, Camilla, because I'm Um, I'm just fascinated by the the contrast between. So you can have a person who's absolutely brilliant, like insanely, you know, smart, but they're going to be a complete failure in life because they've got no emotional intelligence.
2: And that's why they found out the emotional intelligence is so important. Another thing they found out is that people that had a lower intelligence, emotional intelligence, they were more prompt to addictions and uh, destructive behaviors, you know. Uh, like even like aggression or um, just being um, abusive and and such things. And they actually found out, um, you probably heard about the 12-step program for Alcoholic Anonymous, and that has been a very, very uh, successful program. But they found out that this program, when was combined with a emotional intelligence program to enhance emotional intelligence on its um, participants, The success of the program is four times more than a regular 12-step program. So definitely emotional intelligence plays a big role on helping people to overcome any kind of addictions as well as keeping in their jobs and being successful in lives as well as keeping their relationships. So as we know, last time we spoke, it was about relationships. It was actually my husband who contributed um, and boundaries. And what we found today in research is that people that aren't um, don't have a, a high or enhanced emotional intelligence quotient, they have a harder time to establish boundaries. And therefore, they might fall into um, you know uh, relationships that are not very healthy to them including their workplace and on their lives as well. So that's why we know from research and from our daily lives, if you think about your relationships or your life today as a whole, um, are you happy? Are you feeling 100% happy? And if you feel like you can improve, probably one of the things that you might be able to improve is your emotional intelligence and your emotional co- emotional quotient to be able to be um I would say, like, climb that step, you know, kind of uh, continue to enhance your happiness.
0: Okay, so this is this is a really interesting question because it was something that I was actually going to come to is whether or not our IQ and EQ are fixed. You know, is it is what we're born with what we've got um, or can we actually uh, decrease our emotional intelligence, say, through the use of drugs and alcohol and those kind of things or, and can we increase it? Um, through other habits. And what you're saying is that we can actually increase our emotional intelligence.
2: Yes, we can increase as well as decrease. So we're going to talk about now three main influencers of our emotional intelligence. Shall we?
0: Yes, please.
2: Okay, so, and this is what researchers have found out through extensive studies during the past decade. Um, they actually looked at uh, what influences. It's, it, it's part of partially a genetic makeup, but also childhood experiences and current levels of emotional support that we um, all play a role. OK, so here's the first one that um, it's a big influencer in our emotional intelligence. So actually it was um, Bony Hold that actually showed us the first time there was a plant based diet is associated with healthier mood states in both men and women. So switching to a vegetarian diet will reduce levels of stress, anxiety, and depression. That is apparently because of plant foods don't have this acid called arachidonic, okay? Arachidonic acid, which is an inflammatory fat that is present largely in meat and fish. So that's what was one of the research they found out. If you have a diet Rich in plants that will be associated with higher, you know, healthy moods and a a higher emotional quotient or intelligence. So that's number one. Number one influencer is your diet. Yes, it's on our control. Number two, number two, it had to do with um, your activities, what you do in life. And one of the main things they found out is that the more entertainment television was watched, the lower the creativity and one's grade of emotional intelligence. So, uh, a lack of emotional control, that including uh, an increase in violence and sexual crimes, were associated with higher entertainment, internet, videos, games, and TV shows. Um, that's uh, it's interesting, because, interesting because the Bible brings um, through the Apostle Paul, that says that by beholding we become changed so that makes me think that what are we watching what are we contemplating in our lives will have a huge impact in our emotional intelligence and if you think about the news these days or the tv shows and the movies when we make a bit of an assessment, do you think they make us think more positive things or, um, you know, violence and negative things? So that's something that we have to all really resonate and think about.
0: Mm, that's why we have uh, positively different news here on Faith FM.
2: That's right. And so that is highly associated with that. So we do, it's not that we don't uh, watch any entertainment, but we have to think of the quality of the entertainments that we're doing. And we have to also see how this entertainment is taking over. Are they just entertainments that we, you know, it's part of our lives or they're taking over most of our time? So these are important things to consider.
0: Okay, this is really important uh, material that you're getting into here Uh, Camilla, the challenge is that we are running out of time. The good news is that you're coming back to finish this, um, so we're going to have some more time to talk about it next week. Um, We are going to have to move on with our our show right now. But just summarising so far, plant-based diet and activities outside of screen-based entertainment are going to work wonders for our mood and our emotional intelligence. Would that be a good summary of what we've
2: said so far? Well, and we're going to finalize with the last one, which are the main three ones that are influencers. And the last one and is the most important one, by the way, Lyle, is what we believe. So our beliefs and our evaluations of events is the most important thing um, to define our emotional intelligence. So next time we're going to be talking about more ways of how can we recognize this in ourselves and how can we get help? So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to come back and share that with you all.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Camilla Scaff, uh, coming to us from uh, North New South Wales Health Department.
2: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.